0: Christmas, it's the most wonderful time of the year. So we have four services over the Christmas, uh, days before Christmas on the 23rd and 24th. Daniel mentioned and two in the morning on the Sunday and two in the afternoon on the Monday, which is Christmas Eve. And the reason for that is that we really believe uh, that this is an incredible time for your friends, your family, your neighbor, your plus one, your work, uh, your workers, your boss, whoever in your life to encounter the reality of the message of Jesus. And so we're, Daniel mentioned it already, but we'd love it if you would uh, consider attending at one with your invitee, your plus one, and then serving at another so that somebody else who is inviting their friend can be, uh, is able to just attend with their friend. So it's really, really important. This is uh, the time of the year when more than ever people are open to an invitation to come to church, and uh, what better time than the reality of God with us, Jesus, who came uh, and and started uh, just this wonderful thing called a relationship with him that changes everything for us. So we really want to encourage you to continue to do that. So this is uh, week two in our series, Christmas, which is God with us. But over the years, uh, I've had the opportunity of traveling, uh, flying in planes, Uh and when I go on to planes, uh, you can go on to many planes and you never see the pilot. But when the pilot is standing there, I don't know what it is, but more the, the those pilots are getting younger and younger. I don't know. They just seem like some of them are hardly out of grade school. And you're like, bro, you have not shaved yet. Get away from those controls. Like, seriously. But I don't know why that might be why they're looking younger and younger. But when I sit down on, on them... I, when I first started, I was, like, paying attention to everything that they said, making sure that they didn't miss anything. I would have been the guy in the back saying, you missed paragraph two because I didn't want to die. But after a while, um, you, you start to just, okay, they're doing their thing and putting there and something's going to drop and all that kind of stuff. Well, the only thing I do now is I try to find where the exit is. And the reason for that is I watched this dumb show called May Day. I know. It's a show about why planes go down. Just a little tip. Before you're going on a big trip, don't watch that show. <laughs> like, I watch that and I always need to know where the exit is. So I do that. But uh, other than that, they, they just, rah, 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 they do their thing. I don't really pay attention so, so much. But uh, one night I was flying, I had, just come from flying from overseas, landed in Vancouver, and rarely uh, would I fly from Vancouver back up to Vancouver Island. Normally, we would drive, but this night, uh, I was, and it was in around this time of the year, actually, and it was dark and rainy and stormy, and they were wondering if they would take off and go and fly to, to Comox. I think it was Comox or Campbell River, but they said we could go, so you trust them, right? An announcement to fasten seatbelts appeared ordinary, but not uh, anything too uh, worried about. It's actually very common. But then the plane began to move a little bit side to side. And I don't know if you've ever flown on one of those little planes. Uh, They're like a torpedo with wings. That's all. You're just like fitting in there. You're on there. But I wasn't that worried because I'd done, like I said, a flown many, many times. But as we started to go side to side, I glanced out the window and wondered how cold that water was. I don't know why I thought that, but... And so we're flying along a little bit rocky, but suddenly the plane just dropped. I don't know if you've ever had that before. Like it just dropped like like 20 or 30 feet, and you ha ah! and then it goes the other way. Whoo, right up like that. There were growing men, six foot four, screaming like little schoolgirls. It was not uh, fun at all. And suddenly I wanted to know above everything else. Those pilots at the front, do they know what they're doing? I'm, I hope he cra- uh, passed kindergarten or for sure flight school because he looked rather young. Uh, suddenly nothing else mattered in that moment except who was flying the plane. That was in that moment. Everything changed. It had been normal day. I'd flown probably that day probably 16, 17 hours. And in that moment, it, none of that mattered except that question, how skilled are they at going through a storm? How skilled are they, or will I die today? And I learned a lesson on that day that it's perfectly normal to not pay attention to stuff when everything's going well. It's perfectly normal. But when suddenly, when the pilot, who even thinks about the pilot, I should say, until the storm hits, until things start to jolt and jump and rock and swerve, that's all we think about. Who is steering this careening machine? The pilot instantly becomes very, very important in our story. There are times like that in life, like that storm, when we experience rough family times or we experience... A roller coaster of relational things. Or maybe there's a financial thing that comes upon us. And our emotions are going up and down. And our finances are plummeting. And along with them, our whole perspective on life. And in it all, suddenly we have our attention is focused a little bit more. And we're wondering, where is the pilot? Where is God in the middle of all this? Because I thought it was going to be all just smooth sailing. Not a wave, not a wind, nothing. Thought it was going to be fine. We're in this series, God With Us, where we're basing out of a familiar Christmas season verse in the New Testament where the author is quoting the prophet Isaiah who had prophesied about 700 years early. It was a prophecy about Jesus. It said this, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, let's all say that together, God is with us. He's with us. God is with us, not was with us. God is with us. And we, last week we talked about how it's wonderful to have incredible mountaintops where we enjoy God and we feel like his closeness of his presence. But there are also times when we go through valley times where we're wondering where he is and we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we really get to know him in the valleys. And today we're going to use the metaphor of the wilderness. Now, a wilderness in the Bible is often a metaphor for trials, for difficulties, for bad seasons, for wandering. The difference between a valley and a, and a wilderness is the valley is shorter in duration and intensity, where a wilderness seems to go on and on with a greater degree of intensity that challenges everything about you. And like that moment on the plain wilderness can happen suddenly. Wilderness can happen to anyone. It's unpredictable in its arrival and unpredictable in its duration. But the driving question is just like the plane ride. Where is the pilot? Where is God in this story? And in scripture and in life, wilderness often follows a mountaintop. In the Old Testament, there's a story of the people of God who had been in captivity for hundreds of years and God delivered them in a very short time and then they crossed over and they spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness. they just been freed of slavery. Things were looking up and then 40 years in, in a wilderness. 40 years wandering. 40 years wandering. 40 years of difficulty in the middle of it all. And when Jesus was baptized, the Bible talks about that before he began his ministry, he went to his cousin John the Baptist and he said, I need you to baptize me. He was baptized and he comes up out of the water and to hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. What a great story. What a mountaintop moment. And then the Bible says that the spirit drove him into the wilderness. A mountaintop experience where he had probably never uh, seen or heard God in such a clear way. And then he was driven into the wilderness where he was tempted and went through difficulty and he went through lack. And for 40 days, he didn't have food and he didn't have water and wondered what's going on. Wilderness is a place of temptation. It's often a place of loneliness. It's sometimes a place of seeming lack. Wilderness times may start through a lengthy illness that just seems to go on and on and it doesn't get better in the speed that you thought it would get. Or in fact, it you're, you're just managing it and treating it, and you're wondering what's, what's happening. Your strength is going down. Your future plans are fading. Wilderness times sometimes begin with an unexpected job loss, and then the cascading torrent of financial issues that come because of that job loss. Other times, wilderness times occur in prolonged marriage and family difficulties. Wilderness times might come through a demanding or an unreasonable boss that you want nothing to do with, but you know you can't quit. A grueling work schedule or a spiteful co-worker. Sometimes wilderness times are when you're in the middle of university and you're working at the same time and you're working and studying and staying up late and you feel like it'll never end and the strength to keep going. Sometimes you're like, I don't know, God, where are you? Wilderness times will usually leave us feeling discouraged, sometimes depressed, sometimes all alone. And because we're in that state of survival, we start to look at everybody else, that no one seems as supportive or as friendly as they once did. We, an abandoned feeling might come to us where we have a downward spiral of thinking where no one cares for me. And maybe you even conclude that God has abandoned you as well. In the wilderness, your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 19 about a prophet by the name of Elijah where he learned this principle. He had come through a massive mountain time where he had seen God use him, seen incredible things happen, which was followed by a period of discouragement and depression. There was a king there by the name of King Ahab who told the queen that Elijah had done this amazing thing. What Elijah had done was that for three and a half years the, the people of God had been in a drought and they had gone through a tremendous time because they had wandered away from God. It was not a good season. But there had been this confrontation between the prophets of the false god and between Elijah representing God. And God had moved in a powerful way and and the, the prophets were taken care of. They were wiped out. The people of God that had once been following this idol of the king were now following God. And their hearts were turned. And the queen was angry about this. And she sent a message in the middle of it all. And she, said, she sent words. She said, by this time tomorrow, I will kill you. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And this is what Elijah's response was. It says that he was afraid and he ran. Everybody say he ran. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. That broom bush, sometimes I think that was, a, I thought it was just a broom, My first time I read that, because that's often the response my kids. They sit down and pray that they might die. When they hey, Can you take the broom? No, I'm going to die. I wish I would die. Lord, take me now. I can't operate that vacuum. No, it's not that. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And you say, well, how could this be? He was the great prophet Elijah, and here he was, sounding so discouraged, sounding so depressed. And he runs into the wilderness. But the rest of the story is that he had been in his own wilderness for three years. For three years, he had been running from the king. For three years, he had been running for his life. He had spent time by a brook where the only one that fed him was where God miraculously supplied for him through some ravens who brought him food. He had Yet in the moment of the wilderness times, he had also seen God move powerfully where he had helped someone be raised from the dead. He had stood in front of 850 false prophets, 850 to 1, and had seen God come through him. But he had been under pressure and under pressure and under pressure for three and a half years. And in a moment, he had declared that the the drought was over. It had begun to rain. And so it seemed like everything was going good. And then one more threat from somebody, not even right beside him, a messenger brought a word and said, I'm going to destroy you. And he crumbled. I want to die. I've had enough. His weariness overcame his willingness. His weariness overcame his willingness. I've seen it again and again. People who seemingly suddenly have an affair. People who suddenly walk out on their marriage, seems like. Suddenly get into an addiction to drugs or pornography, or suddenly have a nervous breakdown. But suddenly has often been three years in the making. Suddenly has often been 18 months of unrelenting financial pressure that you have not been able to get a handle on. And just one more thing. And when you are weary, you need to pay attention to your weariness. Because if you don't, your weariness might overcome your willingness and put you on the run. You can handle a lot, and then one thing seems to push you over. You can handle your teenagers, but at some point, you've had it up to here. don't make me do this. I'm going to fly off the handle. Or you have a boss that's passive aggressive and demanding, and one more comment, and you're like, I quit. I'm out. So-and-so. You're making up ground financially, and then, you feel like you're getting ahead, and then suddenly your car breaks down, the toilet floods, the cat swallows the tinsel off the Christmas tree. If you know what that is, you know what that is. A man says his marriage seems fine, there's no big fights, and then he forgets her birthday. And she's like, I'm out. I've seen these things happen. You make the woman or the husband, whoever makes the dinner in the house, For everybody and they all everybody walks away from the table and leaves the dishes on the table and suddenly mom loses it you're like whoa one thing jeepers relax but you need to watch that your weariness does not overcome your willingness and if you happen to be watching any of those situations you'd say that's crazy why do you let one little thing cause that to happen why are you letting one thing get you on the run? Why are you letting one thing uh, cause you to start talking like that? Why are you letting one thing cause you to be so discouraged? Come on. But when you look at Elijah, he seems exhausted. This is not one thing. He's running from his problem. He's so discouraged. His prayer is that he said, I'm no better than my, my ancestors. In other words, who are his ancestors? They're dead. He said, it's no better that I, I, I'm, my life is meaningless at this point. He's overwhelmed. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said this. He said, we think you ought to know. This is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, half to two-thirds. We think you ought to know, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Sometimes we do a disservice to the gospel when we say, when you follow Jesus, everything is just going to be great, and everything's going to be fine, and every day is going to be fantastic. Paul was doing what God called him to do, and he's saying things like, "It's beyond my ability to do, to live, to to endure. I don't know if I'm going to live through it. In fact, I think I might even die." He's on a whole other level. He had been beaten. He had been had been uh, had rocks thrown at him. He had been shipwrecked and all kinds of things, and so there was a reason for his him talking like that. But Elijah also was tired and exhausted. You see, most of the time, it's not just that you're tired physically, it's that you're spiritually depleted as well. God, though, I love how God responds to Elijah in this moment. He doesn't preach a sermon and tell him to get it together, buddy. You can get up. He doesn't rebuke Elijah. There's no condemnation. There's no, where's your faith Because fear, the blues, depression, anxiety are real issues, even for very spiritual people. They're not just the domain of the person who can't figure out which way is up. Elijah, the Bible calls him one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, but he was discouraged, he was depressed. When he says he wants to die, that's another way of saying, I'm thinking about suicide. You see, mental health issues can happen even to people who have seen great victories. Anxiety, fear, overwhelm, being frustrated with your at doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or looks down on you. Struggling with your life and the issues that you face doesn't mean you're less than. And can I to say something here as well. Sometimes you're experiencing fear and anxiety because you're actually making progress. You're actually making progress. because It's coming because you're facing things that you used to run from. You're looking things in the eye, giants, that used to keep you in a corner, and you're saying, I don't think I'm going to live that way anymore. I'm going to try and step into a new way of thinking, a new way of living. So, Yeah. So sometimes you're misreading your anxiety as weakness when it's just a signal that you're moving forward. Sometimes, like Elijah, your opposition is directly related to your obedience. Elijah took on things that other people wouldn't take on, and he experienced a tremendous amount of opposition. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, the pushback you're experiencing is because the real you is making a comeback. So no rebuke, no condemnation for Elijah struggling with fear, overwhelm, or anxiety. God tells him to eat and rest. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He had just been sleeping. He says, get up and eat. He looks around, and there by his head was some bread. It was probably gluten-free. Baked over hot coals and a jar of sparkling water. He ate. He ate and he drank. And then he laid down again. He's tired. Very often, the most spiritual thing that you can do is to stop and rest. Because how many of you, all of us, are how many of you would say you might be a little crankier when you're tired? Put your hand up. If you're married, your spouse is saying amen to that. How many of you might say that you're a little um, negative when you're tired? that you see things a little bit off. How many of you are a little touchier when you're tired? Yeah. How many of you make bad decisions when you're tired? Yeah. Yet, even though we all know that, we are good at, in our culture, and take pride in the hustle. We take pride in being the super mom or the superman. The promotion we're running to fix, the money we're extra we're trying to do, the thing we're trying to solve, stressing over thing. But if resting is not part of your routine, eventually breakdown will be your reality. If resting is not part of your routine, eventually breakdown will be part of your reality. And sometimes we mistake things as big problems when actually we're just so depleted that we're looking at it through the lens of a person like Elijah who's been through it for a long, long time, and our perspective is a little off. We need physical rest and spiritual replenishment. We need physical rest and spiritual replenishment. The Lord... Is my shepherd. Now get this. What does he do? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He didn't say he invited you, he said he makes you lie down. Because the truth is, there's truth in that. That often we don't want to lay down because we think it depends on us. We think that it's all up to me. If there's anything that's going to happen in my life, it's up to me. But the truth is that there's a good shepherd who wants to provide all that you need, but it's not going to come until you learn to lie down, where he can lead you beside still water. And then what happens, it says, when you lie down, when you go by still water, he restores your soul. Because you can never rise above what's going on inside of you. He restores your soul. The restoration you're seeking is often found in the rest you're avoiding. We have a problem in our culture. Go, go, go. On, 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 on collapse. The rest is what you need. The restoration you're seeking is is found in the rest you're avoiding. And it doesn't need to be nine weeks off. But if you need nine weeks off because you haven't taken any days off for a long time, maybe you will need to do that. Build a rhythm, though, of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. Physical rest, my body, and spiritual refreshment. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Some of us are screaming at God, about things that are going on in our life, when God is saying, slow down, stop. You need a rest. You need to be replenished. Physical rest and replenishment because he is looking out for you in the wilderness. When Elijah ran into the wilderness, God didn't say, ain't going there. You're going to have to find your own way through that. You need to rest. You need spiritual revitalization from Jesus, who is with us. We need to be restored by Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who is God with us. Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be. Be still. And know that I'm God, and sometimes we feel like, God, I don't know you, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing, and sometimes the reason is because we haven't learned to be still. And some of us miss the second part of that. We stop, but we don't know God. Physical rest, slow down, and spiritual replenishment. Be still and know that I am God. And there are dimensions in God, I'm convinced, that you will never know until you learn there are times to be still. There are times to stop. There are times to slow down. There are times to rest. There are times to be still where we need an encounter with Emmanuel. We need an encounter with God with us. God with us in the wilderness. God with us in the pain. God with us in the loss. God with us in the unending physical issue we're facing. God with us in the discouragement. God with us in the depression. God with us in the anxiety. God with us in the wandering. God with us in the wandering. God with us in the exhaustion. God with us. God with us. God with us. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God, Horeb. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God of second chances? He'll come to you a second time. And he'll come to you a third time. And he'll come to you a fourth time. And he'll come to you a fifth time. Because God, as we sang already today, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. He's chasing you down. He's looking for you. He's going after you. He wants to restore you. He wants to, and if you didn't get it the right, like the last time, coming around again. He's coming after you. Physical rest and spiritual replenishment strengthened him for the journey. So the journey was too much for him. And sometimes we just got to get that revelation, the journey that's in front of you is too much for you, too much for you, and you need physical rest and spiritual replenishment. But God's question to Elijah, what are you doing here? Have you ever had those moments where you ask yourself that question? What am I doing? What am I doing here? Where you feel like the eyes of everybody else that is judging you in that way. We've gone through a bunch of stuff in my 39th year, which was a little while ago now. But my 40th birthday was in a beautiful tropical island, and uh, I was surrounded by just my daughters and my wife and strangers. And I remember thinking, this is fine, but how did I get here? My life prior to that felt like it didn't exist, like it was, a, it was just gone. And I felt so alone in that moment, and that was really the start of almost probably three years of wilderness. But the beautiful thing is God doesn't just leave him there. He says, how did I get there? How did you get so far off track? How did you get out in this wilderness? He replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your, torn down your altars, and you put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Even Elijah's perspective had been messed up. He had come to believe that he was absolutely alone, that there was nobody with him. He had just gone through an incredible mountaintop experience where literally thousands of people turned to Jesus. And God had shown up with fire and did all kinds of stuff for him. And he was like, not only am I alone, I'm not sure where you are in this story, God. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Then God meets Elijah. The Lord said, go out and stand in a mountain in the presence. Somebody say presence. Go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God wasn't in the remarkable. He wasn't in the flashy. He wasn't in the big explosion of things. He was in the whisper. When we're overwhelmed by stress, when we're overwhelmed by anxiety, why does God's voice seem so quiet? Why doesn't he speak to us in spectacular power and writing on the sky and all that? Why does he whisper? He whispers because he is always close. He's always close. I will never leave you or forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. Never. He's chasing you down. He's looking for you. His heart is for you. He's not far." Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody sitting right beside you? How are you doing today? Everything fine? I hope everything's good. Hey, by the way. No, it wouldn't make sense. Sometimes it's because he's whispering. Other times it's because you need to turn down the noise. And some of us need to hear the whisper of heaven afresh. Hear the whisper of heaven. The whisper that says, I am for you, not against you. The whisper that says, it's not over yet. The whisper that says, your best days still are in front of you. The whisper that says, I am not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The whisper that says, I'm going to help you to get through this. The whisper that says, I love you. The whisper that says, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. The whisper that says, that God is for you. Who can be against you? The whisper. But some of us don't learn. know how to recognize a whisper. I'm going to give you a little tool right now that has helped me. It's called star. Everybody say star. And there's nothing. I tried to come up with some fancy way to make that sound spiritual. Star. It represents uh, Christmas. There you go. Or it's the star over over Bethlehem where Jesus was. There you go. There it is. So it's just a very, very simple tool. If and it might be good to take out your phone and take a snap of that because this is really how, in a moment, you can come into and experience the presence of Jesus. Not just here on a Sunday, not just in when you've got four hours to worship, but in two and three moments, two and three minutes, you can have an encounter with Jesus. And the first one is the one that's most difficult for us. It's stop. Just stop. Sometimes it's just, just, just stop. It's good to have a little pad of paper beside you, while you when you do stop so that all the thoughts that come whirling, just write them down and then stop and take a breath and literally take a breath. It helps to just close you down. It helps to just attune. It helps to clear out some of the anxiety. It relaxes your body. And then this word, appreciate Jesus. It's, it's where you just begin to say, thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you, God, I remind myself of what you did in the past. Thank you, Lord, that that you are my provider. Thank you, Lord, that I have a home. Thank you, Lord, that you are good to me. Thank you, Lord, that nothing's going to overwhelm me, Lord, today. Thank you. And you just begin to appreciate Jesus. And what happens there is the Bible says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. And then suddenly you're into a different spot and you begin to now respond to the whisper. Because your, your heart is going to be tuned a little differently. And you're going to begin to learn to hear and recognize the whisper of heaven. Because God wants to whisper because he's here with you. He's close to you. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's close. And when my kids would have nightmares or whatever, they'd wake up. They would come into our bedroom. They wanted to be close to us. They didn't want to be close to their mom because she wouldn't wake up. They'd come to me, and they'd be standing there looking at me or tapping me on the head. Wake up, Dad. Like, what's going on? I'm scared. I had a bad dream. I heard a noise. There was a storm. Something's rattling. Hey, just come on in. And cuddle them for a moment. They just want to be close. Then eventually they have to go back to their bed because eventually their feet end up in your teeth. So you have to take them back. (laughs) You have to take them back to their bed, no matter. But most of all, they just want to be close. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and 18 that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's also close to the person who has it all together. But most of the time, we need to be reminded is when the plane drops, we need to be reminded that He is close to the brokenhearted. And when you've gone through something that seemed to have forever altered the, the trajectory of your life and you see no way of how it could be made right, He is close to the brokenhearted. No matter what you're going through right now or how long you've been going through it, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who whose feelings are crushed. Where can I go from your spirit, the psalmist says? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell... You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if everything's going great, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. For two or three years, we had a period of time where everything in our life seemed to be out of order. Our lives were in upheaval so many levels, relationally, financially, with our family, our friends. Dream shattered, emotional battering that went on for three years. Felt like Humpty Dumpty. It fell off the wall. Nobody could put it back together again. But God can put it back together again. In those moments, we discovered the reality of this. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. I would not want anyone else to go through what we went through. But I'm thankful we went through it because I discovered God in a way that has helped me so often and again and again I saw the faithfulness and the goodness of God but don't miss the clues when you're in the wilderness and try to keep running because your weariness can't overcome your willingness if you're not careful so take some physical rest and some spiritual replenishment and hear the whisper. You know what that whisper said to Elijah? It told him of a new assignment that he needed to do. Told God could have said you're done. You blew it. He said here's an assignment. I have your season is over, but you still have a voice that I want to use until you're finished. What that is done and you're moving into something new. People make all kinds of speculations, but all God says is, I want you to go to speak to a king, and you're going to anoint the next king of the neighboring nation. I've got your, your spiritual son is being raised up, and, and with the work I've done in you is going to continue in another generation. God spoke. And we enjoy God in the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. When you're wandering in the wilderness, and you feel like nobody understands, he is close to you might not be in the way that you thought it was in the wind and the fire and an earthquake, but the whisper. And if you'll stop for a moment from the busyness, stop, take a breath, appreciate Jesus, and respond to Him, you'll come out differently than responding to the storm, responding to the confusion, responding to the fear. Stop, take a breather. Appreciate Jesus and respond. He understands. He cares. He's always good. Because who is he? The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And in all the reality of Christmas, we remind ourselves that He is God with us. I invite you to stand. We're going to close in prayer. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. I just invite you to pray with me right now. I'm just going to pray. To those that are weary and wandering, you might feel alone. Just, we're going to pray. Just hold off a little bit there, Ben. Not yet. I'm going to pray. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and just give privacy to the people around you. And and if you if you're in a place where you feel like that wilderness season, I want to pray with you because there's some here that are in the wilderness season, but that the enemy has also thrown some other things on you, like depression and anxiety and and things that are actually kind of landed on you in a heavy way, and God wants to lift it this morning. We're going to do some spiritual work, and there's things you're going to do after that in in that star thing, but as well, right now, to those that are wandering and feel alone in the wilderness, if that's you right now, you know who you are. I'm just going to pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are the restorer, Lord. I thank you that you are the revitalizer. Thank you, Lord, that you are as close as the mention of your name, Lord, that you're not far off. And Father, for people right now that are weary, for people that are in places of anxiety and fear, overwhelmed, discouraged like Elijah, Lord, I pray that you would lift lift off everything that's not of you. Thank you, Lord, that depression goes in Jesus' name, that fear and anxiety go in Jesus' name, and we welcome the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God, with us. And if you're not, if you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sins. Come in. In fact, let's just, can you pray after me, everyone in the room? If, if you want to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, if you pray this prayer from your heart, you can pass from death to life, and you don't go through any anything alone forever. Forever. He's close. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died, that you were buried, and you paid the price for my sin. I receive you to be the leader of my life, to be the forgiver of my sin. I give my life to you. Lead me, guide me, be with me. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you would become a follower of Jesus Christ and you are never, never will be alone.